We think about the Christmas story in the Scripture. One of the first passages that comes to my mind is Luke chapter 2, and I'm sure it does to you as well. It's kind of a family tradition at our house that uh, on Christmas uh, morning, someone, in fact, uh, we take turns reading parts of Luke chapter 2, and it's amazing how fast kids can read the Bible when they know what's coming after that. But uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, it's kind of a family tradition at our house, and uh, what a blessed passage of Scripture. They all are, to be sure. But stand with me, please, as we read Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 4. I want to try to tie all of this together in a brief message this morning, so bear with me if you will. Luke chapter 2, verse number 4, the Bible says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us in these very brief moments that we'll spend uh, in the message, in the Word of God. I pray that you'd help us as we focus our attention on not just Jesus the baby, uh, but Jesus the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the risen Savior, Jesus the one who came to take away our sins. Father, I pray that as our choir sang so beautifully a while ago, that all of us would make room in our hearts for Him on this uh, two, two Sundays before Christmas. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I enjoy hearing and reading the Christmas story. It never gets old to me. It never does. I never cease to be amazed at how fresh it is. The fact that God would become a man ought to amaze all of us. The fact that the holy God of eternity, the creator of everything, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God of creation would uh, seek to, to know man at all, let alone to become a man. Psalm chapter number 8, I believe it says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? You know, not only was God mindful of man, but God did visit man in the most intimate of ways. God came and became a man. And that amazes me every time I think about it. That little baby in the feeding trough, or the manger, if you will, was the creator of the universe. It amazes me to think that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and of course Mary, she's not deity, she was not uh, superhuman or she's not supernatural at all. Mary was a, a young lady, she was, Jesus was born of a virgin, the Bible's very plain about that, and God used Mary in a miraculous way, there's no question about it, but Mary was not deity, she was not God, she was, she was a, she was a young lady who was God-fearing to be sure, and she's to be admired, but she's not to be worshipped at all, but uh, the fact of the matter is, when Mary looked at that little child in the manger, I'm sure her thoughts went to the fact that He created me. He created me. And it was Mary's, it was through Mary's body that the Savior was born into the world, and yet it was that little baby who long before He stepped out on nothing, and according to Colossians chapter 1, He is the beginning of all things, and by Him all things consist. He was the God-man. 
He was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as we talked about in Sunday school for the past two weeks. The name given was Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. One of my favorite things to do when thinking about the Christmas story is to try to see the Christmas story through the eyes of the different characters that were involved. I think about, uh, I think of how neat it would have been to have been one of the shepherds that night. When the angels came with the good news that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, think about it. They were just, uh, they were just putting in their time. They were just doing what they always did. That was their job. That was their vocation. They were just keeping sheep. What they did every single day of the world was keep sheep. And uh, on this evening, their work schedule, their shift, if you will, was uh, interrupted by none other than an angelic choir that said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. And the first announcement of a savior born in Bethlehem was not to royalty, it was to common men, shepherds. Can you imagine what they were thinking? They were just minding their own business, keeping their herds of sheep. And, and I'm sure there were some who were a little bit, uh, maybe, uh, maybe they were daydreaming. Maybe they were just, uh, uh, kind of maybe even, uh, dozing off a little bit, sleeping on the job, if you will. I'm not sure about that. <clears throat> but, uh, but that was interrupted by angels. And I'm sure they were thinking, what in the world is going on? I think about the wise men. I think about how they had deciphered from the Old Testament readings the general time frame of the coming of the Messiah. How they anticipated the opportunity to welcome eternal royalty into the world. I think about the fastidious manner in which they thought about their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh that they would present to a little baby in a manger who to others would seem not so special, but they knew who he was and they knew the importance of what was going on. And I think about how the wise men viewed the birth of the Savior. Then I think about Joseph. No, he was not the father of Jesus, but he was an important character nonetheless, a man of character and integrity. Uh, no, he was not the biological father of our Savior because that which was formed in the womb of Mary was not man's at sea, but it was of God. It was God. He was God in the flesh. I can only imagine the level <coughs> excuse me, the, of bewilderment that Joseph went through during that whole process. When the angel came to him after, after he found out that his, his espoused wife, his, uh, his fiance in our vernacular, if you will, uh, how that she was found to be with child. The Bible says that he was a just man. He thought to put her away uh, privately or secretly according <clears throat> to the law of Moses. And I'm sure there are all kinds of things that went through his head about what to do and how to do it and, and to do it in the right way. And yet how his, his fears were subsided and, uh, and laid to rest by an angel who came to Joseph and said, Joseph, look, it's okay. It's okay. Because that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Ghost. Joseph, you don't need to worry about anything. And the, the sigh of relief that he must have breathed upon hearing that news. And though it was difficult to put ourselves in the position of many characters in the Christmas story, there's one character in this story that all of us can relate to. There's one character in the Christmas story, and by the way, this character is not directly mentioned in the Christmas story, but uh, we're, we're, we're taking, making a little bit of an assumption because of what the Bible says, and that character that all of us can see in ourselves this morning is the innkeeper. The title of the message is simply this, The Innkeeper in All of Us. The Innkeeper in All of Us. Ironically, this man was 
who was responsible for the inn is not directly mentioned, but someone had to be there on that evening to share the news with Joseph when he came out and said, you know how it is, fellas, you've been driving all day and you pull over to a Holiday Inn Express or a Best Western or Hampton Inn or whatever it is, <clears throat> and uh, or you know, even if you pull in there and see Tom Bodet because he left the light on for you. But but anyway, <clears throat> you pull in there and uh, and you go into the the registration desk at the hotel or the inn, and uh, we've all been there uh, to come out <clears throat> and say, nope, no room there, no rooms available. We got to go on down the street a little bit further, but. No doubt there had to be somebody behind the desk that night who said to Joseph, I'm sorry, but we don't have any room. We don't have a place for you and your wife. I understand, sir, and, he, and I'm sure he said, but you don't understand. Look, <clears throat> she's, she's getting ready to give birth. She's due any day now. And, uh, sir, I understand that, but, but we're sorry. We just don't have a place for you to stay. The Bible doesn't give us the details of the incident, only telling us that there was no room for them in the inn. No room for Joseph. No room for Mary. No room for the baby that was soon to be delivered. No room for God in the flesh. No room for the Savior of the world. No room for the King of Kings. No room for the royalty of heaven who came in human form. Now, before we're too hard on the innkeeper, it, uh, it's very probable that he had no idea about the magnitude of what was about to happen. Chances are he had no idea what was going to transpire in the hours that followed the little encounter with Joseph. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us if it was the innkeeper's idea to go to the stable across the parking lot or down the street or wherever it was located in, in, in uh, uh, relative to the inn. We don't know whose idea that was, but the Bible does say that they went to that stable because there was no room in the inn. The simple message this morning is simply this. There's an innkeeper in all of us. There's an innkeeper in all of us. You see, this innkeeper did not have the benefit of hindsight like we do because had he known was what was going to happen, I'm sure he would have done whatever it took. I'm sure if that innkeeper had known who was about to be born through the womb of Mary, I'm sure it wouldn't have mattered. Hey, he would have given up his own room if he'd had to. He would have made whatever provisions, he would have pulled any strings, he would have, uh, he would have made it happen had he known that the King of Glory, come in human form, was about to be born. The innkeeper in all of us. We can all put ourselves in his position this morning because all of us must make the same decision that he made that night. You see, you've got a decision to make this morning. You say, oh no preacher, you don't understand. I didn't come to make a decision. No, we all have a decision to make. There's an innkeeper in all of us, and that innkeeper must decide, just as that innkeeper did 2,000 years ago, do I have room for Jesus? Do I have room for the Savior? What am I going to do with Jesus? I can turn him away, or I can take him in. That's the decision you've got to make at some point in your lifetime. <clears throat> That's the decision you have to make. The innkeeper in all of us. We either say, yes, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make room, as the choir sang so eloquently a little while ago. <clears throat> room in my heart for him. Or I can say, I'm going to reject the Son of God. Reject the Son of God. Now, wait a minute. The innkeeper, he had no idea that he was rejecting the Son of God. He had no idea that he had turned away Joseph and Mary and that little uh, baby in her womb was Jesus, the Savior Lord. He had no idea, but wait a minute. We know. We know. 
We look back at the story and we know who was born in that manger. We know who lay in swaddling clothes. I want you to see, first of all, this morning, it is an imminent decision. It is an imminent decision. When Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem, a decision had to be made right away. She was great with child. The Bible says she was ready to be delivered. And a decision had to be made. There was no time to debate. There was no time to be indecisive. They had to stay somewhere. And apparently the innkeeper said, I'm sorry, I don't have a room. All of us will make a decision about Jesus Christ one way or the other. It is an imminent decision. Hear me well this morning, and I say this not to, not because I'm somebody, but based on the authority of the Word of God, <clears throat> you will make a decision about Jesus Christ one way or the other. You will. You say, oh, pastor, I didn't come here to make a decision this morning. I refuse to make a decision. Uh, may I say this? No decision is a rejection of Jesus Christ. To not make a decision is making a decision by default. Because we're sinners by nature, the Bible says. Uh, we, we have, the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Everyone will make a decision one way or another about Jesus. Because it's the innkeeper in all of us. Not only that, but the window in which you'll be allowed to make the decision will not always be open. You see, right now, while it is called today, the Bible says, right now, on this date, December 16, 2018, the window of decision is open for every single one of us. The window of decision is open for us. You see, death is certain for all of us. And once death comes, the window is no longer open. The window is closed. Once we breathe our last breath on this side of eternity, uh, then whatever decision we have made about Jesus Christ, hey, it's done. It's over. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's sealed forever. You understand, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Once we die, the window of opportunity to say yes to Jesus is closed forever. It's closed forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2, the Bible says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Understand, Jesus looks down from heaven today, and he, he asks the question of all of us, Is there any room for me? Is there any room for me? As the innkeeper uh, had to make a decision 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, is there any room for Jesus? Hey, the Bible says today's the day to make that decision. It is an imminent decision. You must make it. And you must make it before death. You must make it before the time, before that window is closed. You see, one of two things that could happen that could close that window. The first thing that would happen that would close that window is I just mentioned it, you're, you're passing. Your death. You're going out into eternity. The Bible says to be absent from the body, for those of us who are saved, is to be present with the Lord. There's only two options after death. It's either heaven or it's hell. And so the decision to make room for Jesus must be made while there is hope, while there is life. The Bible says, do it today. Don't put it off. One of the grandest schemes that was ever spawned by a devil in hell was the, was the, uh, 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 was the scheme to talk people into procrastinating. Just put it off. Hey, go ahead and get saved. Just don't do it today. Go ahead and make room for Jesus down the road. 
Go ahead and plan on it. He says to you who are teenagers, he said, why don't you wait till you're an adult to mess with all that? Hey, that's kind of adultish stuff. He says to you children that, uh, hey, by the way, if you're old enough to hear and understand what I'm saying, uh, this is for you. You have reached that age to where you're going to give an account of yourself before the Lord one day. <clears throat> and he comes to you, the devil does, and says, why don't you just wait a while? Why don't you just put it off? He comes to you who have, uh, uh, maybe you're a, a, a newly married couple, and he, he says, well, why don't you just wait till you have children, and, and then you can think about this. And his plan is to just ha, ha, to, is to have you put it off, put it off, put it off a little bit longer, another day, another week, another month, another year. But the Bible says today's the day of salvation. It is an imminent decision. Hey, I would not walk out those doors this morning if I, done, if I did not have assurance in my heart that I was saved. I wouldn't do it. Hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drive down the street <clears throat> until I understood that Jesus Christ is my eternal Savior. It's an imminent decision. I see not only that, but it's an eternal decision. It's an eternal decision. You see, the decision to make room for Jesus in your heart will determine your eternal destiny. Your eternal destiny. Hey, we're not talking about a decision whose consequences only last for a little while. We're talking about a decision of which the ramifications and the consequences and the rewards of this decision, if we make the right one, last forever. Last forever. Understand something. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name. You say, preacher, what's the big deal about all this Christmas stuff? I'll tell you what the big deal about Christmas is because had there been no baby in a manger, had there been no God-man in the manger, you and I have no hope. We have no hope. We have no hope because there is no other way to be saved. There is no other avenue to heaven. There is no other pathway to eternal life. There is no other uh, uh, road that will take us from earth to heaven. You see, we are condemned by our sins. We're condemned. We're, we're uh, <clears throat> our sin that must be paid. You understand, the decision to make room for Jesus is an eternal one. And by the way, the decision to reject Christ is an eternal one. You see... <clears throat> I would do you a disservice if I told you about the splendors of heaven but did not warn you about the dangers of hell. I will not do you any service whatsoever as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ to talk about what a grand thing it is to go to heaven but not warn you about the, about the dangers and the damnation and the torments of a Christless eternity in a lake of fire. It's an eternal decision. You see, you say, Pastor... Such an awesome thing. Such an, it's overwhelming how important one decision is. But it is an eternal decision. And I want you to see the last thing this morning is this. Not only is it an imminent decision to, re, to make room for Jesus, not only is it an eternal decision, but it's an easy decision. It's an easy decision. Hey, you talk about no brainers. I've got one for you this morning. Listen very carefully. What a simple choice to make. God did all the work so that you could go to heaven. You don't go to heaven by you working. You, do, you go to heaven because of what Jesus, the work He's already done. 
You see, what we heard from our choir and, and the, the story that we just read about the little baby in a manger, that was just a little piece of the work that God did in an effort to get you to heaven one day. That's just a little bit of it. You see, the plan of salvation was all God's idea. God did all the work, and it's up to me to receive what Jesus did on my behalf. Follow me very carefully. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before man ever even sinned, God had a plan. Wow, what a God. Before man even messed up, before the, the Bible says that as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Even before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God all, he had it all figured out. He had the plan ready to go. God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem's manger. That little baby Jesus, he didn't stay a baby. He grew up just like all babies do. And he grew up into his childhood years and into the preteen and teenage years and the adolescent years and the young adult years and grew to be a, a, a at about 30 years of age, he began his earthly ministry where he healed uh, blinded eyes and made them see and touch deaf ears to make them hear and, and healed uh, the lame to make them walk again and raised uh, the dead uh, for, uh, uh, back to life again. And so many miracles, so many wonderful things, just a fraction of which are included in your Bible. But the Bible says he just went about doing good. And he preached and he, he taught people and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus himself testified that he himself was the only route to heaven. You can't get there by good works. You can't get there by baptism. You cannot get there by, by, by being a, a good moral citizen. You can't do it any other way. It's only through Christ and Jesus said so himself in his earthly ministry. It was part of the plan. Thirty-three and a half years of life, Jesus went to a cross. Thirty-three years of sinless perfection ended by Him going to die on a cross that He did not deserve. He did not deserve it because He was sinless. He didn't deserve it because He was perfect. He didn't deserve that cross because He was holy. He did not deserve that cross because He who became sin for us knew no sin. It wasn't even part of who He was. He was the God-man. He could not sin if He wanted to. Understand something. The cross was not His. It was mine. The cross that Jesus went to on Calvary, it was meant for me and it was meant for you. It should have been mine. It should have been yours. But Jesus died a sacrificial death on the cross to pay for every sin that you and I have ever committed or ever will commit. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and then was raised from the dead after three days to prove to everyone that He really was God in the flesh. May I say, I just described to you the hard part of salvation. The hard part. God planned it. God set the plan into motion. Jesus came. Jesus went through everything that He did on this earth for 33 and a half years, and He died, and He was buried, and He rose again after three days. Hey, that's the hard part. God did the heavy lifting of salvation. My part's easy. Your part's simple. There's nothing difficult about it. And by the way, if you had been the Heavenly Father and you had given your only begotten Son so that mankind could be redeemed, you'd want to make it as simple as possible too. You wouldn't want to make it difficult for man to access salvation. And that's exactly what God did for you and me. The easy part is up to you this morning. The innkeeper and all of us. The innkeeper 
Had he known who was in the womb of Mary, he would have said, "What? whatever we got to do, we're going to make room. <laughs> whatever we got to do, whatever arrangements we got to make, if I have to give you my own room, you can have it. But we're going to make room for Jesus. And that ought to be the attitude of everybody under the sound of my voice this morning. I'm going to make room for Jesus. I'm going to make room for Jesus. Hey, I didn't know anything about what the preacher said this morning. Maybe you weren't familiar with the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Maybe you weren't familiar about the part of Jesus. was no, He wasn't just a baby forever. He, he grew up to a man, and his purpose was to redeem mankind and to save us from our sins and to give us a home in heaven. I understand that's the hard part that he did. The easy part is up to me and you. You say, preacher, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to make room for Jesus? Well, first of all, you must admit that you're a sinner. You must admit the fact that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. You know what? There was a day when I had to come to that realization. There was a day when somebody took a Bible and showed me and I understood for the first time, you know what? I am a sinner. There's none righteous, no, not one. The word righteous there means sinless and perfect and we understand none of us fall into that category that's that's god's that's god alone and it goes on to say in romans chapter 23 and verse 23 for all have sinned for all have sinned that means the people on this platform that means the choir that just sang a little while ago they're sinners they're sinners ha huh. i can't believe it i came to a church full of sinners you go to any church is full of sinners <laughs> i hate to disappoint you if you ever find a church that has no sinners, don't join it. You'll be the first one. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> but the reality is, we're all sinners. We're all under the condemnation of God. But the easy part of salvation is up to me, and it begins with me simply admitting to God in heaven. By the way, He already knows. <laughs> Confessing, admitting the fact that I'm a sinner. And my sins have condemned me to hell. I cannot save myself. Friend, you can't say, you say, oh, I'm too proud for that Jesus stuff. Sir, that'll take you to hell. That'll take you to a Christless eternity in a lake of fire. I'm too proud for that. If I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to work my way there. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Sir, you can't live a good enough life to get you to heaven. All the good things you do added together and multiplied by 10,000 cannot, cannot get rid of your sin debt. The wages of sin is death. You've got a sin debt and so do I. And someone showed me years ago that my sin debt was going to land me in hell. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to admit that you cannot save yourself. And then simply this. The easy part of making room for Jesus is simply receive Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what He did on your behalf. It's real simple. The Bible says He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, as many as accepted Him, as many as, under, as, many as who understood the fact that He was the Son of God, God in the flesh, as many as received what He did through His death and His burial and His resurrection from the dead and say, yes, yes, I received that. I received that. I want that. I believe You died for me, Jesus. I believe You rose again for the dead for, for me, Jesus. I believe that. I received that for myself. I trust You as my Savior. He said, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Don't miss it even to them that believe on His name. 
even to them that believe on his name. The decision of the innkeeper is the decision that you and I must make this morning. It's an imminent decision. You can't put it off. Oh, you can put it off for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, but there's going to come a day of reckoning, an appointment day that you have with death, that all of us have with death. And what we do with Jesus, if we don't make room for Jesus on this side of eternity, there'll not be an opportunity to do so on the other side. It's an imminent decision that you must make. Not only that, it's an eternal decision. The decision that you make will affect you forever. We can't wrap our minds around that. We're not geared to think in terms of eternity because we're, we're, in, this, we're in this flesh, we're in this time capsule, if you will. But the, the decision to receive Christ or reject Christ has everything to do with your eternal destiny. And then, understand, it's an easy decision. Because God did all the heavy lifting. God did the hard part. God the Father planned it. And God the Son came and, and, and uh, executed that plan to perfection on this earth. And now, it's your turn. The easy part. Admit you're a sinner. Admit that you can do nothing to save yourself. And by faith, receive Jesus Christ and what He did for you in His death and His burial and His resurrection to save you. Even to those who believe on His name. The innkeeper in all of us. It's your decision this morning. You can say, I don't have room, Jesus. I don't have room for you. I got too much going on. I'm a busy man. I'm a busy woman. I've got things to do, people to see, places to go. I've got all kinds of obligations and, and I'm an important person and I don't, I don't have time for this right now. You can turn them away. The consequences of turning Jesus away are far, far greater for you today than they were for that innkeeper 2,000 years ago because you know who he is. You know who he is. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.